This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 218. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a wonderful guest for you, and she's been with me on the podcast twice before. Her name is Dr. Susan Sales, and she is the owner and CEO of Brooklyn Road Veterinary Clinic, and she's also a past president of the Michigan Veterinary Medical Association, and she is just a wonderful leader and amazing veterinarian, and um, I wanted to have her back on the podcast. Welcome back, Sue. Thanks so much, Julie. I love it. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. So today um, we thought we would talk about boundaries, but before we do that, can you just give the listeners a little bit of idea, a little bit of an idea about your like veterinary story, like just hit on the high points. I know we probably <laughs> talked about that on another podcast, but just so they kind sure. of know who you are, what sure, you do. In case anybody doesn't know me. Yeah. Um, or hasn't, hasn't seen anything before. Uh, I, I work in a small animal exclusive practice, actually just dogs and cats. Um, I have owned the practice now for, oh my goodness, 22 years. Um, that flies, right? (laughs) I'm like, I had to count for a minute. Um, we, um, have three doctors, um, and a support staff of about 22, um, team members, um, including, um, a boarding kennel that we have. Um, I, uh, started out at a, a, different practice and came to this practice fairly quickly as an associate ended up buying the practice, um, transitioning to owner. And at that time, um, I was essentially the only doctor. So we've grown the practice into, um, what it is today and, and built a new building now. I, I keep saying new, but it's seven years old now. Um, and so I've had experience with, uh, lots of growth and lots of change um, over the years um, and managing different groups of people. And you have, you're a mom, so you have a family. So you know how that goes being an owner and working at a hospital and, and running that. So you have yep. all those experiences. So you probably have had the opportunity and the necessity to set some boundaries. Absolutely. And I think like a lot of people, you get better with time. So in the beginning, uh, and, and maybe there's a good reason for that. Maybe in the beginning, you need to to uh, experience some things and it gives you some knowledge and some some background on why the boundaries are so important and helps you to understand where your boundaries are. Um, but yeah, you definitely do get better. That's a good point. Like sometimes you just, you need the stress to teach you some lessons, right? Yes. Yeah. So let's start by talking about why it's so difficult for veterinarians to set boundaries. Cause I find that there's a lot of guilt, like there's a lot of underlying like feelings that we can't quite navigate. What do you think about that? I think there's some generational stuff, um, Mm -hmm. there as well. I mean, being a a graduate, um, a veterinary school graduate from the nineties, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but then when you count back, it is, um, things were different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, medicine was different. Um, the availability of emergency practices was different. And so in, in that time, there were things that we had to do. And so I think for some of us, the transition is even harder because we've lived a different way. And then you kind of put that judgment onto your new associates of, well, I did it. So you should do it. And, and that's not fair and it's not right. Um, well, you know, and it's one of the big problems right now, right? Is the, the people that own the practice is not understanding that we need to change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get the whole aspect of, Hey, I did it so it can be done, but that doesn't mean that it should be done. <laughs> right. right. Can, yeah. And it could be our two different things. Um, yeah. And maybe on some level, people that graduated earlier, like you did, and and I even before you, maybe we missed out on some things that we shouldn't have, or, you know, I feel like I was a pretty good 
um, present mom as much as I could be. And that was one of the reasons that I wanted to own my practice. So I would have that flexibility, but it also being an owner, it also kind of takes away some of your time too, right? Like there's certain things that you can't just let slide when you're in the yeah. hospital. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's important, um, to me, or it was important to me as a mom to be there and to, to attend all the things for my daughter. And so that's something that I made time for. And I think that first introduction to boundaries came actually when I was in vet school, um, on an externship, um, one of the doctors that I, I stayed with for my three week time, um, said to me, you got to think about what's really important and make sure that you have time for that and that you leave time for that. And, um, we, and, and that was a large animal rotation. We were doing equine work, but I lived with them for three weeks. So that's a, a, another fun experience. And we were home every night and had dinner around the table, the whole family together. Wow. And so this person really, really had it figured out. Yeah, that really struck me of, wow, you know, I I didn't necessarily even have that as a child growing up. Um, And my parents weren't veterinarians. Um, But I was quite an example of somebody setting boundaries and sticking to them so they could have a home life. Yes. Yeah. So that was that was kind of your first introduction to thinking, oh, I want this too. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was a great experience. And I thought, yes, this is, this is what it should be about. It shouldn't be all about work. And don't get me wrong. I love work and I do spend a lot of hours there, probably even more now than I should. Um, now that my daughter is off to college. Um, <laughs> yeah. You don't have that, that pull to come home, right? You need to spend more time once you get those kids raised. Yeah. It's not fair either. Cause my husband should have me and have my time and, sure. and I need me and my time. So, uh, but uh, nonetheless, it's a little different when your kids are grown. Um, but yeah, figuring out what's important to you and making sure that that stays at the top of your priority list. Um, however you do that, sometimes it's writing it down, um, you know, having it written in your office, maybe on the corner of your, your computer monitor, um, family comes first or, um, I am a mom or, you know, whatever your, your mantra is so that you see that. And it reminds you, I I need to make choices that are going to reflect that and are going to support that. Yeah. So when, when you're the owner of your practice, you're there as the owner and another person on your team, which you have a, a quite large team, right? Almost close to 30 people do you try to practice that same philosophy for them? Yeah. What is your philosophy for the hospital? In the office, um, you you need to have some boundaries too. It's harder actually for me in the office than it is for from office to home. Um, What we've done at my practice um, is I actually schedule myself with administrative time. And if I need to not be interrupted, then the door gets closed. I really have an open door policy 99% of the time. People can come to me whenever they have an issue um, or, or reach out to me and say, hey, I need to talk with you and we'll set something up. But if I really need to focus on whatever I'm focusing on and get things done, like like for me, that's um, that's doing the books and, and checkbook balancing. Right. Um, I need, if I get interrupted while I'm doing that, it really throws everything off. And so I close the door during that time period. Um, the fun part is training when you have new employees They're training on the door. At work. <laughs> <laughs> the closed door is not as hard as, um, I, I joke with them and I, I send a message when I'm going into administrative time. Okay. I'm no longer a doctor. Now I'm an owner. And that means if someone calls with a question for the doctor, the doctor is not available. (laughs) And that is a hard transition, not as much for me now that I've made the decision, but for the rest of the team. Right, right. Yeah, my staff used to, because I did the same thing as an owner. I was like, okay, I used to like go down on Sunday and do the book work. And so, and the team didn't know that, like they didn't know I was spending an extra four or five hours every weekend at the hospital. 
because it was quiet and I could work. But then I, one day I woke up and I said, why am I doing this? You know, I need to set a boundary and schedule a day. So I used to schedule like a half day on Monday or even a full day on Monday to be the bookkeeping time and teaching them that you're not available when you're still there. Like my team would want to lie to clients and say, oh, she's not here today. And right. I, I'm like, they know what my car looks like. Yeah, I have this not. giant van out there and all this that um, clients know that that's my car. So you can't lie to people. Like you have to, there's a different way to set a boundary by just saying, look, she's, she's not available. She's, you can say I'm in a meeting if you want, if that makes you feel better, but not saying that I'm not here. And, the, and that was kind of a, a hard shift for my team because they were, they had a really hard time saying no to the clients, especially when they knew I was in the building and yeah. making them wait. So how do you communicate that with your team? Like, Let's say you're a hospital owner and you're trying to establish some of these boundaries for yourself. How do you think you communicate it so they understand what, how important it is? Good question. Um, you know, we have regular office meetings um, and I have, again, not only the open door policy, but somewhat of an open book policy explaining what's happening kind of behind the scenes with finances um, so that they understand how, how things are going that way. Um, and I also try to explain where my time is going and, and what I'm putting time into, not only for their understanding, but also for their help. Because sometimes there's things that I can delegate um, that they're willing to take on or able to take on um, if they know those things. So that's a little slight tangent, but um, so we meet regularly and part of that regular meeting is here's the things that I'm working on. Here's the things that we need to work on um, and, and setting goals. And I think when the team understands nothing can get done if you don't apply time to it, right. um, it starts to become a little easier for them to say, oh, I get it. I get it. You haven't been able to work on project X because you've been so busy and pulled to work with clients. Um, and, and the amazing thing is when they get it so well that they start to say to you, look, I think you need to set some more time aside so you can get this project done. Yeah. Then they become more helpful with the boundaries, right? They say, Oh, you need, you need some office time. Cause you're not, you're not doing well or whatever. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and a lot of times that comes when it's a project that pertains to them. Um, yeah, so something they want, right? <laughs> working, working that in, and that may be a good way for the rest of the staff to see, you know, I, there's only so many hours in the day. Um, let's let's see where our priorities are and focus on the things that we can get done. Um, delegate the things that we can't. Move some things off the list, maybe. Um, but that's a whole nother talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, as you were just saying that, I thought of. How do you teach people, and this is kind of around setting your own boundaries, but how do you teach people to handle that, the demanding client, the person that says, you know, I know Dr. Capel's there, I saw her car, and I need to talk to her, like this is super important, the, the really pushy clients that are trying to get you to drop your boundaries, like how do you handle that? not yeah. only practically, but, but emotionally, because that's a hard, you know, especially for people that don't like conflict, it especially is. our receptionists that are trying to make everybody happy and do the right thing. Like, what would your advice be to the doctors that are managing them? And also the people that have to set those expectations for the clients when they're not really cooperate, cooperating. Yeah. I, I think you just nailed it right there. And that is setting the expectation. Um, you have to listen and and hear what they're wanting um, because, you know, if you put yourself in their position, it's probably coming from a, a point of concern for their pet. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, they, they may be pushy and demanding and, and don't handle it well. Not everyone has good people skills, um, but um, it's coming from a point of concern. So you need to be sure that they listen to the client um, you know, repeat back even. Uh, so what I'm hearing is this and this and this are going on. Um, offer solutions. Um, so here's what I can do for you. Instead of what I can't do, here's what I can do for you. Mm -hmm. um, 
Dr. Sales isn't available until after four o'clock today. I can leave a message for her and have her get back with you when she's available. I can send your message to a technician um, and see if they can help you with something. I can get another doctor or, you know, whatever the options are. But if you offer them solutions then and make sure that they feel heard, um, then at least you're, you're showing concern. If they don't care and they're just so pushy, they're going to push right through it. There isn't a lot that you can do about that, except kind of help your, your team to have a little bit of resiliency and say, I'm sorry, that's not something I can do. Right. And circle back around to the things that I can do um, and let them choose from those things. And if none of those are acceptable, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> or I'll be happy to give you a number to an emergency clinic you can yeah. call or you know, whatever. So they have, an, have a back door to get out. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, if we're not able to fulfill your needs, let me give you some options of someplace that, that could, you right. know, something yeah. like that. And a lot of and times if, people will back down to that. They will. They, they will. don't want to go then, somewhere else. No, they don't. They, they just want to see how far they can push, um, especially if they've done it before and it's worked. Yeah. Um, so if the people are chronically like that, you have to really decide, is this someone that fits my practice or not? Um, and, and it's not an immediate jump. I, I see these things on um, social media where everyone is just, just fire, them all. fire them all, <laughs> fire that person, fire that person. Yeah. <laughs> I will say since COVID I've fired more clients than I have the other 20 years of practicing, but you know, it starts with a conversation typically with the doctor on their time, not in that infringed boundary time, right. but hey, you were really disrespectful, uh, uh, rude um, with my support staff, um, support team. I, I don't like to call my my um, employees staff. They're they're my yeah. team. That's a, that's a shift that I think we've been trying to make for a long time is calling them a team. It makes more sense. Yeah. I know it seems silly to a lot of people. It's just a word, but it really isn't. I mean, it's a mindset. So, um, but you know, you were really disrespectful to my team. They don't deserve that. They, they are here to help you care for your animal. I am here to help you care for your animal. I am flattered that you want me and only me. Um, however, the reality is I have other obligations and I can't be there a hundred percent of the time. Mm. Um, if that is not acceptable to you, then I'm not sure that we are a good fit. And I, I, the other, I, I like to use that terminology too, because it's not that they're a bad person and it's not that you're a bad person. We're just not a good fit. Right. I, I don't match what you want. And maybe there is, maybe there's a doctor down the road that can do that, that wants to do that. Um, you know, and, and uh, having that conversation with the client. And then if it happens again, that's when the look, I'm really sorry. We tried. Um, it's time to find another place. that will make you happy. Yeah. yeah. In a kind way. Like, I think you can fire people in a very kind way. They don't always take it in a kind no. manner, but no. um, if you just say, you know, look, every time you come in here, you're unhappy. I want you to be happy. So right. let's find you another hospital that, that can serve you better than we can. Cause apparently we can't. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't need to become an us versus them situation. And when it does, it just be, builds toxicity in your, in your practice. So just because they're angry doesn't mean we have to get angry and be angry. We right. let have their anger. That's fine. But I'm sorry. It just isn't working for us. Um, that's the hardest part. And how do you teach that? I'm not really sure. It's something that you have to have conversations when a tough situation happens and, um, hopefully have someone in the practice who can step up and say, just because they have a problem doesn't mean it has to become my problem. And let's all let this go because is it really going to do anything for us to hang on to it? No, you know, let's get what we can from it. If there's a lesson to be learned, a mistake that we made something that we want to do different, fine. But after that it's gone. Yeah. I think that happens so much in, in some hospitals where they become toxic because it becomes the, all the clients are mean and all like you'll have one really bad client and it'll turn into this huge, like all day, 
drama where everybody's telling everybody else about what happened and how mean this person was. And, you know, and then Dr. Capel had to get involved and then she had to fire them. And like, it becomes this really like almost fun, but in a bad way, because it creates this negativity, this story of negativity, like all the clients are mean when in reality, you know, there are a select few, you know, I've had coaching clients where they've come to me with, oh, that this was a terrible day. This lady yelled at me, blah, 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 blah. And I'll say, well, what percentage of your clients were mean today? And they'll be like, well, just that one. And I'm like, well, how many did you see? What's the percent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you put it to them like that, and they're like, well, 90%, 95% of them were nice. I'm like, mm. so you're wasting your time with 5%. Right. Like, let's, let's rethink this. So sometimes it's just kind of realizing that that's what's happening and that's what your brain wants to do it wants to make it all negative instead of like oh this is just one person that's having a bad day or or one you know maybe they are a mean person but you know it's not all of the clients yeah well and back to that team mentality the team wants to be a team so if one person starts in on these people are awful and i can't stand this and whatever the team feeds into that. Yeah, you're right. That right. wasn't fair. You don't like this. And it becomes a slippery slope where one day it's one client and the next day it's two clients. And before you know it, it's all the clients. And that is so toxic. So, so toxic. Well, and then you're kind of manifesting that negativity, right? Like you're expecting yeah. somebody to do something wrong. Yeah. So even if they do something small, like look at their watch you know, cause you're running a little late. Well, they're aggressive now, you yeah. know, and, and you, you start to like select for the negativity yeah. and it, it really is a, a mind training exercise. It so is. let's talk a little bit about setting boundaries for, um, yourself at work mm-hmm. to not only care for your psyche and care for your mental health, but also, to be able to have a life outside of your practice? Like, do you have any ideas about how you did that or how you do that? Well, I think, again, the communication is huge. Um, and when you're a manager um, asking questions of, uh, of your associates, for example, of what their preferences are and having that upfront um, instead of after the fact. So on the weekends, do you want to be contacted or for what things can you be contacted? Or do you prefer not to be contacted at all? What, what are the expectations? And, and it's not just, this is what they want. So it's what they get. It's a back and forth conversation of this is what we need. Um, this is what's realistic. Can we come to some agreement here and, and figure out, you know, what, what needs to happen? When I first started, for example, we had emergency on call um, because we didn't have any emergency hospitals. Um, We still don't have one very close. I I would say um, our closest one is 25 to 30 minutes, which isn't bad. Um, Quite frankly, by the time they could get a hold of us, we could get around and get into the hospital. They could be at an emergency hospital. And so over time, the conversation became why are we doing this? We need to have this boundary of, of needing personal time to ourselves in the evenings to be with family and, and to take care of ourselves. And, and we were able to adapt and have that conversation and decide that this was the right thing for us. Um, but you have to talk about it. If the associate hates it and doesn't want to do it, but won't say anything to the management, nothing can change. And if the management won't listen to the associate and try to figure out even a stepwise way to make adjustments, then you're in for trouble either way. Yeah. And, and some people are in that situation where they work for a a boss or a manager that doesn't care. Like they don't have any, I mean, I, I did the same as you, when I first started my practice and bought my practice, we were on call. You know, and if a client had an emergency, we would have to go in and see them and, you know, and it got to be, you know, not the greatest, but then when we got emergency clinics around, we kind of changed that. Well, at some point we were on call just to answer questions 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that was easy. Like I was like, Hey, I used to have to go down to the hospital. To me, this is golden. I don't care if I have to answer a question, you know, and I turn the pager off at 11 or whatever. I can sleep all night. That's great for me. Well, then my associates came to me and they're like, we don't want to be on call at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, really? Like to me, it surprised me because I thought this was easy, but they had a different outlook. And until they came to me and, and said, this is why like we're on edge because we're worried that that thing's going to go off or it's, it's interrupting our dinner or like whatever. And they explained it to me. I was like, Oh, okay. Well then I understood their perspective and I was able to say, okay, well, let's try it without being on call. Let's see what happens. Let's just put the emergency number on the phone and it goes, they have to go right there. And that's how we changed over the years. So we went from going in and doing surgery in the middle of the night to not being on call at all. But it was because my associates like talked to me and said, we want to change this because otherwise I'd have been like, Hey, we got it easy. We just have to answer the, we just have to call somebody and answer their questions. That's simple. But because I grew up in a different, you know, time where I had, I had it different. So I really try to encourage employees or team members to speak up. And then if they don't have a manager that is open to that and they're just like, oh, you know, it's always been this way and it's always going to be this way, then maybe you're in the wrong, maybe you're in the wrong job, right? Right. You know, when you have that kind of manager, you have to be careful how you approach it. Yes. Um, You can't come in with demands. I am not doing on-call anymore. I can't do it. You need to have some open dialogue about, boy, every time I'm on call, I don't sleep well. I come in the next morning and I can't focus at work. What are the, what are the things that it, it's doing to you? What, it, what is the consequence of this issue? Um, not just, I don't like it because that comes across as whiny to a boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and non-solution oriented. Right. Like I want somebody to come to me and say, this is what I'm proposing and here's why, and here's what we're going to fix by doing this. Exactly. We're going to feel better. We're going to treat clients better. We're going to have a better outlook or whatever, whatever things we're fixing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is what I'm committed to. If we make this change, I'm committed to this going forward, you know, as far as I, I will be to work early or I will be to work on time if you're if you're one that has that struggles with that or you know whatever the issues are but I think if you can explain what it's doing how it's bothering you um and and then have a solution and and maybe even have more than one solution or say hey I'd like to talk about what possible options are I understand um that it's scary for an owner to stop a service that you've been providing all along, you know, they go to a place in their head. We, I go to a place in my head. What if all the clients hate it and how many are we going to lose? And what is this going to do? lose money? And then I can have to fire people. Like, I don't think people that haven't been an owner don't understand that that's always on your mind. It's like, if we don't make enough money, we got to lay people off or fire them. Or, you know, we, none of us want to go there. Right. Right. So yeah, that, that uh, solution oriented, but maybe being flexible to different options and say, well, how about we try this for a while and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we can circle back around and try and come up with another solution instead of the, I don't like this. I'm not willing to do this. That's it. Um, Now, you know, for some people that is a hard boundary for them. But you should know that when you're going into the job, as you're interviewing, what are your expectations and what are your hard hard boundaries? Right. Um, You know, if you find a job that you think you love, except for this one hard boundary, you need to be able to say, this is a a hard no for me. I can't do on call. I'm unwilling to do on call. Is there a way that we could um, change that or, or make, make some sort of concession in that area? Um, when you're interviewing. Yeah. Um, I think some people don't remember that. It's like when you're looking for a job, you got to know exactly what you want in a lot of ways and then have that conversation. So the person that's hiring you understands where you're coming from. And then you understand what the norm is in that practice or what is their, what is their philosophy? Like I, I talk to people a lot about values when they're looking for a veterinary hospital 
because I got burned at my first hospital because I had different morals and ethics than the people that ran my practice. And um, it didn't work out well, you know, because I didn't think about that. I I just thought, oh, well, they'll change. I can teach them, you know, Mm -hmm. I can help them or whatever. So yeah, I, I think that's really important. And as, as an owner, I think just having that kind of more open mind to these people don't want to hurt your practice necessarily, but they want what they want. And so there might have to be some, you know, maybe compromising. Yes. Okay. I'll do this, but then I need you to do that, you know, kind of thing. And they're hard conversations. Um, we're a conflict averse group of people, <laughs> veterinarians. We just seriously, avoid- yeah, we don't like, we don't like any of that. Right. You know, you, you could be interviewing for a job and here they have on call and, and say, well, I'm just not going to do that. Why not have that conversation? Maybe that's not a super hard boundary. Maybe that's a, well, gosh, if it's between having you as an associate or not having you as an associate, I might be able to make some concessions there. Um, you know, it's, it's a weird time right now in the hiring, um, industry as far as veterinarians go and they're they're in such high demand um but so you have a little more power um as a an associate coming into a practice but um that makes it even more important to say hey this is really important to me and this is why it's important to me instead of here's what i want and i want this and i want that and i want that um you need to start your relationships out on the right foot having boundaries and explaining your boundaries, but still being respectful. Yeah. And I always tell people that boundaries aren't about what you're going to force the other person to do. Boundaries are about you. So this is where I draw the line. If a client is yelling at me and they're angry, I'm okay with that. Like, I don't have a problem with yelling, but if they start swearing and calling me names and not being respectful, then that's my boundary. And, and then I have to communicate it with them, right? If you keep swearing, I'm going to shut this conversation down and I'm going to ask you to leave. Cause that is, that is a hard no for me. Yes. But if you can, if you can stop that, then I'm okay. And then when they do continue to swear or scream, then you just have to do what you told them you were going to do. I'm walking out and you're okay. walking out. And you can swear at me all the way to the door. And if you don't leave, I'm calling the police, but this is what I'm doing for me. And so I think sometimes we think that if we set a boundary that we're telling the other person what they can or cannot do, and that's completely not true because they can do whatever they want. And I think that sometimes where boundaries get confused is, well, I told that person that I wouldn't tolerate their swearing and they're still swearing. And like, well, then what did you do? Like, it's on you to create that. Like I'm going to walk away or I'm going to hang up the phone. Like I've done that on clients. If Mm -hmm. you swear, if you keep swearing, I'm I'm happy to help you. But if you keep saying the F word to me, I don't like that. I'm going to hang up the phone. Yep. And then the next time they do, I just hang up the phone because I told them that's what I was going to do. And it doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with changing their behavior. It has to do with my boundary. Exactly. Exactly. I I think you're absolutely right. A lot of people assume when you lay a boundary out there, well, they, everyone has to respect it. And that means that they're going to, going to follow it. No, no, that's not a boundary. That's an ultimatum. Well, Um, right. And they, and they have free will, right? They can do what they want. If they want to keep swearing, they can keep swearing. I'm just not going to stand there and listen to it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Boundary really is um, a line at which when it is crossed, um, there is a consequence for it and you need to communicate that. Like, like you said, if you continue to X, Y, Z, I am going to leave. I am going to um, discontinue our relationship. I am going to, you know, whatever it is. Um, Give you and, records and ask you to go elsewhere. <laughs> and if, if you believe in that boundary, you need to, to fulfill that you need to follow through and, and show them that you're serious about that boundary. And sometimes that's the hardest thing is we are such people pleasers and, and we're caretakers. That's what we do in this profession. And so to follow through can be hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because then you have the guilt, right? Especially when it's, 
you know, a client comes in at the last minute on a, like you're closing at six and they come in at five to six and your rule is if they don't get there by five 30, you're not seeing them or whatever your rule is. That was kind of our rule. And so they run in the door at five till you have to, even though it doesn't feel good and you don't necessarily want to do it, you have to be like, I need to, I need you to go to the emergency clinic. I'll call them for you. I'll tell them you're on your way. I'll give you a blanket to wrap the dog in, like whatever you need to do to kind of like help them, but not giving up your whole evening to see a last minute emergency because your boundary is I leave the hospital at, at six or whatever time you close or, you know, and that's the hardest part I think for us to grapple with is how do you deal with that guilt of not helping people? Yeah. So what's your answer to that? What do you think when you feel guilty about something, you're setting a boundary around, what do you tell yourself? Well, I think you have to remember why you set the boundary in the first place, because uh, typically we set a boundary because of a previous circumstance. Um, something that didn't go well, that didn't feel good, that, that wasn't right. And so you have to remind yourself, yeah, could I see this client today? I could, but X, Y, Z again, could go wrong. And it has before, and this is why I set this boundary. So I'm doing the right thing to live up to this boundary. Um, you know, for example, we have a, a boundary in our office. We have 30 minute appointments. If you're more than 10 minutes late for that appointment, we won't see you. We'll reschedule that appointment um, with very, very few exceptions. Um, it's hard sometimes when a client comes in 12 minutes late or whatever, yeah. and and you have to say, look, but, but what we come back to is why did we set this boundary? Okay, well, we set this boundary because we can't do a good job. We can't take the kind of care that we want to of your pet in 20 minutes. It takes 30 minutes, sometimes longer. Um, and all we are doing is shortchanging you or um, disenfranchising the people behind you because we are delaying their appointment if we spend the time that your pet needs. So it's a lose-lose situation. That's why we set this boundary and we have to live with this boundary. Right. And if it's they get angry hard. or you feel guilty, you have to deal with those bad feelings, right? Yep, yeah. yep. And, and the guilt is hard and it does surface, but yeah, you just have to come back to why did I set this boundary? And that may be hard if you're not the one that set the boundary, if it's mm. the practice that- Or you don't agree boundary. with it. Like if you, yeah. you work for somebody and you're like, I don't agree with this, but this is what I have to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's again, where the communication comes into play. If you don't agree with it, you need to have some conversation. Why do we have this? Maybe it's because you don't understand. Maybe you didn't live- um, the circumstance, the problem, right. <laughs> you know, and, and again, be open and respectful of, of what the other person has gone through. And maybe there's something you can learn from it and, and prevent something from happening to you that, that they lived through. So boundaries, um, are, are an interesting thing. Um, they're, they're not they easy. Very- and I tell people that I'm like, it's not easy to set a boundary. And, no. and you have to deal with all the negative emotion that comes from that, all the guilt, all the, well, I'm a veterinarian, I should help at all costs, you know, like that, that narrative that we have that, you know, we're the only one that can treat all these people. And I mean, that's what gets us into trouble, right? That we can't say, yeah. look, I, I can help the pet ones that I can help. And that's right. all I can do. It's like, you can't fix all the starvation in the world but maybe right. you can feed your kids and a couple other people that, so they don't starve. You know, you can work right. to feed these humans. You can't save all the humans. So it's kind of that same thinking. It's like, I can save these pets, but I, I can't save them all. And right. it's hard. It's a hard reality, but it, it is part of self-care and taking care of, you know, your own family and your own mental health, which I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. You need to have a realistic expectation of yourself. Um, and once you come to that, then it's easier to set those boundaries. Um, but we, we feel like we want to be superhuman and, and do it all. We can do it. We can do it if we just push a little harder. Um, and then suddenly you can't, something has to give, and it's usually you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) your personal health, welfare relationships. And that comes back to what's important is that 
that family the most important thing to you, then hey, let's remember that and let's let's cycle back to that. Yeah, or all the pets. All right, let's. I think we did the boundaries thing pretty well. Let's all talk right. a little bit about scheduling because you said you have some unique ideas about that for your hospital. So let's talk about that a little bit, and then maybe you can tell us the story of your power outage <laughs> that you had last week because that probably involves some scheduling, right? Oh, scheduling and boundaries. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Okay, let's do it. Um, well, as, as far as scheduling goes, I'm not sure if I'm unique or not. I, I don't know. It's hard to know what other people are doing out there. Um, we don't talk to each other um, as veterinarians. Not as about- much as we should, right? I always recommend that to vets. I'm like, get together with your other vet friends. Yeah. You know, like, like reach out to somebody that, that has a practice five miles away and talk to them. Like yeah, I was, I got lucky because my Detroit area had that. We had a, like a group of owners that got together, but not everybody does. And I think that's super important. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, where I got some of this information from is I'm a member of the Uncharted um, Veterinary Group, the Andy Rourke Group, and mm-hmm. we share these ideas together. Yeah. This didn't happen. And we had a fairly good local veterinary group, but it still didn't happen. It It's hard when you're so close to each other to share some of these things because there is some feeling of competitiveness still. Right. Um, unfortunately, that's, that's yeah, how it, it shouldn't is. be that way. I mean, it, it it's yeah. doable. I, I tell people it's doable because it's being done in my area, but yeah. So tell us about the scheduling that you do and um, ideas. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the fantastic thing is practice management software nowadays has so many helpful options in them. So you need to look at what your, your software can do and use it to your advantage. Um, I'll tell you a little story of, of how we started structuring ours. The way it started out was um, we have a certain number of slots every day. Right now it's six um, appointment slots that are not filled until that same day. Um, we call them e-slots, emergency slots, whatever you want to call them. But no matter what, that's a boundary. It's a very hard boundary. <laughs> yeah. And that one takes <laughs> time, right? Until that day. And it is for urgent things, um, you know, that uh, his ear has yellow discharge coming out of it that I, I didn't notice. noticed. He was up all night <laughs> screaming. Yeah. You know, the the painful things, the the things that need to be addressed right away. Um, The challenge can be, especially in these COVID times, we now have almost trained our clients and they understand that this happens. So when our phones turn on, those slots get filled almost instantly in the morning, although- They all know, they have to be the first one. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) yes. Um, but, um, But, and so then you have to kind of adjust the number of slots that you have, depending on what your schedule is like. Um, but that has worked wonders for us because at our office, we don't do, um, very many, almost none, um, drop-offs and work-ins. Um, cause again, it's against our philosophy of care. We can't take a good care of the clients that are coming in if we're trying to see other patients and, and squeeze in between. Um, if all of our urgent slots are full and it's something that we feel is urgent, yeah, we may make a special change or we may cancel a wellness appointment in order to get that urgent thing in if it's mm. that urgent. Yeah, that's um, a good that's a really good idea cuz I don't think a lot of a lot of hospitals do that. Is yeah. cancel some of the routine things and reschedule. And that's really hard. That's a really hard call. Um, I get it, but it happens to us, right? Like you right. sometimes get your things canceled. Yeah. If there's something that truly is urgent, again, not the, my dog's been limping for five weeks or, um, you right. know, he has bleeding mass that, um, is now just making a big mess and has been going on for weeks or, I, right. you know, there are a variety, right? That's what the hardest part about scheduling is. What is a priority? And not only is it hard for us as managers to, to do that, um, but the poor um, customer service reps, receptionists, whatever you want to call them. How do we expect them to make these decisions at the front desk? They can't win. No, whether they book it, no, or they, they have the hardest it. job in the hospital. Someone is going to be angry. I, yeah, I feel they seriously do have the hardest job. I think. Oh, but um, but yeah, to to say, hey, 
if it is something urgent, a lot of people um, who have a wellness appointment are completely understanding if you say, look, I really need to move you as long as it's not weeks from now, I really need right. to move you. We have something that's an emergency yeah. and, and we would do the same thing for your pet if that happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people understand they love pets. They love animals and they, they get that. So that works well for us if we have to do it. Um, but the, those emergency slots and not filling them until the day of has been huge. Now are your appointments 30 minutes, regardless of whether it's a wellness or a sick they are. Yep. They are. Um, we have enough exam rooms that, that we can be, and enough staff that we can be seeing multiple appointments at a time. Um, so for example, some of the wellness, um, the young puppy or kitten wellness things will take longer than 30 minutes, but it's not 30 minutes with the doctor. The doctor can be on their next thing because, um, the technicians can be doing some of those educational, um, or, socialization type, um, appointment needs. Um, but, um, yeah, that has made a huge difference for us. Um, scheduling all of our drop-offs for surgeries in the morning before we open, um, was a huge thing for us. Um, we were, our, our technicians were finding it difficult to spend time with and answer questions and get the drop-offs taken care of while they're trying to do other things and get prepped for surgery. And, and so having them all come before we open in the morning and we have one technician that comes in early and does all of those. And not only that, but we have um, digital uh, electronic forms that they fill out in advance with what our, here's what our expectations are and what are your questions. So we kind of are, are primed and ready to, to get them taken care of more quickly at the drop-off time. Um, so that has worked really well for us. Let's see. Um, and then what started happening was, um, the prime times would get booked. So right at the end of the day, when people would, would want to see things, those were all full, um, or first thing in the morning was full, but the middle of the day never, um, or Saturdays would get packed. Or, yeah, or Saturdays are packed or our evening appointments were always full. So we started actually looking at what is comfortable for the doctors. And again, it came from communication and the doctor saying, look, if I have four sick things in a row, I get behind and I'm struggling. Is there any way we can rotate healthy to sick to healthy to sick? And so we built that in um, our practice management software with the color coding um, and suggestive scheduling so that it helped our receptionists to know where to place things. And that has been huge. And it's different from doctor to doctor. Yes. Um, for example, yeah, one of my doctors um, has no problem with seeing two sick things in a row, but if there's more than that, it becomes a struggle. So we can make make adjustments and, and fluctuate that some. Um, the other thing that, that we do, um, if I am short-staffed in regards to an associate, and I'm the only doctor there, I can see more appointments because again, I have enough technical staff that yeah, I can double book. Or, yeah. I will double book. Mm-hmm. Um, I do that. My associates do not do that. I do not make them do that. It is my choice <laughs> um, to do that. Um, and when I do the double books, I'm very specific about what kind of things can go in the double books so that I have a comfortable day and can keep things flowing. Um, but being creative um, and, and being willing to try different things in your in your schedule. If something doesn't work, let's try a different thing for a few weeks and see how that works. Let's try something else. And, and those emergency slots, like I said, have been the hugest thing for us. Yeah, I love that. What I also like is what you said about it's it works for me, but maybe not my associates because mm-hmm. I'm the same way. I, I If I have enough technicians, I like being double booked. I think it's fun. Like it's a mm-hmm. challenge for me to go from room to room to room and just tell them what to do. And like, I, I love that delegating, but there are doctors that can't work that way because, you know, I, I'm not super detail oriented, so I could miss things if I didn't have good techs keeping me on track. Right. But, um, there are some people that have to really focus and take their time and they have a different personality style. And I think that's one of the things that I think is 
kind of one of our biggest mistakes when we're running hospitals is not realizing that people are different and it doesn't mean that they're not right or they're wrong. You know, like I have technicians that are very slow paced, but very detailed. And I don't prefer that style because that's not me, but I understand their value. So if I can put them in the right place, if I can put them with the right doctor, um, you know, it, it, it works for the whole hospital, but you have to be open to understanding that not everybody prefers to work like you do and not everybody can handle what you can handle. And that's, it's still okay. Right. They get overwhelmed and maybe I don't, or, um, I miss things, but they don't because they're detailed or, you know, whatever, just understanding that everybody has different strengths and working with them and not against them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of my associates really likes to work completely through the appointment from beginning to end and check all the boxes. I don't necessarily need to do that. So long as I am sure someone has it and it's been delegated, um, I'm, I'm fine with that. You yeah. Know. You trust your Not people and you're just, mm-hmm. yeah. But some people have a hard time with that. So just realizing that you can have a hospital where the doctors work differently and even scheduling differently. Yeah. I think that that's something that not a lot of hospital owners will embrace. They just feel like this is the way we do it and everybody has to do it the same way. And I think that's a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you need to have conversations about how is the schedule going? What does the schedule look like? Um, boy, we had a terrible day on Tuesday. Well, what was so bad about it? Let's look at it. What made it bad? You know, was it just one bad appointment that kind of went haywire? Well, you probably can't fix that. But no, it seems like we do a sick appointment right before lunch and every day it runs over and then it goes into my lunch and I don't get much of a lunch. And what, well, you know what? Let's not put a sick appointment right before lunch. Right. We can change that. (laughs) We can fix that. This is okay. You know, little, little things make a huge impact. Yeah. Um, and your wellness. Right. Yeah. And it, and just having the discussion works. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we wrap up, cause we're getting kind of long, tell me your power outage story real quick. <laughs> I want to hear that. Uh, well, my in practice- Michigan, we had a power outage Michigan, right? by the time uh, this comes out, it'll probably be a couple weeks ago. Let's say. Yeah. Sure. In, in Michigan, we had a, a terrible ice storm, um, that, that came on, um, and it came on through the day. Um, and, um, by the evening, um, all of the local area was out of power. So between so seven while and eight, you were working, it happened. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, here's here's the fortunate thing. Um, we typically are open till eight o'clock on, on that evening, and I could see it coming. And um, so we moved our appointments. And here's another scheduling thing: we moved our appointments up. If something cancels, give a call to something later in the day and say, "Hey, we've had a cancellation. Can we squeeze uh-huh. something in?" Yeah. Or, or something that's further out, uh, if it's not a weather related thing, um, you know, keep that appointment book full with, with things that are, are requested in the future. Um, you know, we have an ear appointment tomorrow, but boy, we have a cancellation and an opening today. Let's call and see if they want to come in today. Um, you know, that helps with your productivity and your income as well. Um, but anyways, back to the, to the uh, power outage. So it was about seven o'clock in the evening. We got everything wrapped up. I just got home and made myself a, a little dinner and the power went up. Um, and I thought, oh, we, you know, we looked online and it, it said uh, expected um, time to come back on was just over 24 hours out. Okay, no problem. Uh, we contacted uh, the staff. I, I contacted my office manager and she contacted the staff um, and we put out on our social media and we have also an app that went out to everyone due to the weather circumstances, we'd be closed the following day. Well, we do have a boarding kennel, as I mentioned earlier, and we have animals in the hospital for that. I I don't have hospitalized animals, but we have animals in the building, I should say. Um, So we had to make sure they were cared for. I do not have a generator. People who live in other states may go crazy with that, Um, but (laughs) it happens very infrequently that we lose power. Yeah, we don't lose power a lot where we are, right? So... Uh, went in and checked on everything. Um, our kennel staff was able to to manage the dogs. We had um, 
few enough dogs that we could just move them to a different um, run and not have to worry too much about cleaning. Because again, we are on well water. We do not have city water where I'm at. So you need power so for we that. Have no water and <laughs> yes. Nice. So yeah, no lights, no heat, no water. Um, so back to the pioneer days for us. Um, but um, we uh, were able to, my husband um, collected um, water and we have a large tank that we left outside the building. So they had water to water the animals. So the waters had the, sorry, the dogs had food, water, shelter, and it was warm in there. And we were happy with that. Um, as time progressed, it became very clear that power was not going to come on in 24 hours. The storm was really, really severe. Um, and what ended up happening is we had five days without power to the office, seven days without power to my home. Oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> miserable, uh, miserable. But at my home, I did have a generator. And so that that first 24 hours or the next morning when things um, were clear that it wasn't gonna come on, we were able to relocate all of our vaccines and get them into a refrigerator with, with a generator um, support. Um, again, we had water and food for the dogs and um, the uh, big thing was gonna be heat. What were we gonna do for heat? So my husband was able to um, get set up with some infrared propane um, based heaters um, throughout the, the building so that we didn't have pipes freezing and we didn't have dogs and cats freezing. Um, and that worked really well. And we were able to manage the hospital that way. However, being closed for five days, there's a lot of clients who, who need you and want you and don't understand why you can't be there for them. Um, <laughs> through our uh, app, my office manager was able to um, reach out and answer questions um, and took on that responsibility, which was wonderful for me to, to not have to do that and have someone that was in charge of that. Um, but the only issue that we had out of all of it was we did have one unrealistic um, client whose dog was boarding with us and he was panicked that we weren't caring for his dog. Um, despite the fact that we were explaining to him what was going on when he tried to call the office and our phone lines were down and not working. Because that's um, electric, right? On top of everything else, yes. Um, he just was certain that we had abandoned his dog and left it in this cold building and weren't caring for it um, uh, and, and was frustrated by that. Um, but that got resolved as well once he understood what happened and that we, you know, we're indeed on top of it. Yes. You know, if it had been really severe, I would have located as many animals as possible to my house, you know, where, where I had, you know, a generator or, or to other homes where there were generators, we would do what we can, you know, right. for the end. But yeah. that's crazy. But sometimes go to that immediate panic space of they're not doing it. I'm sure they're not doing it. And, and, you know, they love their pets. <laughs> right, right. So it makes sense. Well, bless your heart for going through all that. <laughs> it was crazy. Uh, every day, day by day. Well, and, and one of my associates is off on um, medical leave right now. So I have relief vets coming in during this time. Oh, so no. I would reach out to them and say, um, sorry, we don't have power. Can't don't come in. Okay, wait. All right. We're going to have power. Come on in. <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis, right? Power's on, power's not on. Day by day. Yep. Yeah. I, I would uh, text message my office manager at three o'clock in the afternoon and say, okay, by four o'clock, if we don't know what's going on, we're going to make the call for the next morning's appointments. And we'll contact all of those appointments and let them know we don't have those. And if we do end up getting power, we'll open and see urgent care in the morning where we had canceled and then pick up where we left off. Well, and, and I've been up without power before and the computers don't work. Correct. And that's where your schedule is. Right. And that's really hard because you don't even know who's coming in. Who do you don't contact? know who to call. Like, I mean, social media helps with that some, but you don't have any idea, you know? Yeah, and we it, were really fortunate um, that we had our online app that showed um, reminders and appointments for the next day with phone nice. numbers. Yes. So we could email or text to that client. So, yeah. so that's a good that thing a to have is your thing. own app, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been really fun. I've enjoyed talking to you again and 
I'm really glad you decided to come on the podcast and I'm sure we could go on and on, but we'll do another one. Sounds good. Another day, right? Yeah. Anything else you want to offer before we sign off? No, I don't think so. I I think we talked a lot about boundaries and I'm sure there's things we didn't cover. Um, Sure. You know, if there are people who have topics they'd like us to talk about, they just really need to let you know, because I'm happy to come on and chat about my experiences with anything, whether it's helpful to someone or not, I guess I I hope it helps someone. It will. I I believe that every time I talk to somebody, there's somebody out there that gets something out of it, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's what it's all about. Well, thank you so much. This is Susan Sales. And um, if you want to contact her, you have any questions, you can email me at jacapeldvm at gmail.com and I'll get a hold of Sue. And it's been fun. It's been fun catching up. It's been fun. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, have a beautiful week, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.